Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 185. Today, I talked to Shivani Nazareth of Council, which is a company that offers genetic screening for people who are thinking about getting pregnant or already are pregnant and want to see what their predetermined genetic risks are for various illnesses. And if you do find out that you do have a predisposition to a particular illness, then maybe you can prepare a little better for what that might require in your life or the life of your child and offspring beyond that. So it was a really... It was a really good interview. We get into a little bit about the differences between 23andMe and Council, and I've expressed my issues with 23andMe before on the podcast and in, in other settings, and it's useful, taken with a very big grain of salt, but Council is much more actionable information. Now, I do want to remind everybody, if you are driving your car or you're running in the wilderness or you are uh, in some other place where you can't really get on a computer and join the mailing list, then you can now text do less to 33733. Just text do less to 33733. And you will get a confirmation right back and get your email on the list and you'll join our mailing list and you'll get an infographic that we created to help you get to inbox zero. So please do that. Remember, that's do less to 33733. Uh, Okay, so I just have a few links I want to share today. And there's less than normal, but I want to discuss them a little bit longer. So the first one is there is an article on hexahedria, hexahedria, maybe. uh, And it's called Composing Music with Recurrent Neural Networks. Now, this this is interesting. So my, my brother-in-law is a composer. Well, I mean, you all know Felix from the podcast. He's a composer. My wife is a classical musician. My father's always been a, a proponent of the classical music. So it, basically what this, all that to say, like, this has always been a part of my life. And what this article is about is a neural network, basically a computer system or algorithm, basically, that can create classical music and not copying old classical music, but actually creating new classical music. And there is no possible way for me to, to explain and re- read through everything that they, they talk about this article and show the visuals. But it's pretty fascinating. And what I do want to show you, and I don't know how well this is going to come through. Actually, I'm not even going to, I was about to try to play this through the, the speakers. I'll just ask our audio engineer to magically insert this. So this is what it sounds like when you have a computer creating classical music. So there you go. So, you know, it's not like the most amazing thing ever, but it's definitely it's definitely interesting to see because classical music has all sorts of benefits, right? Classical music can supposedly help increase IQ in infants or even unborn infants. It can help relax people. It can help make you smarter. There's a lot of things, right? But so if you have a computer that can create classical music, I, I think that, that's, that that could be very useful depending on how they sort of put an angle on it. So anyway, that's one thing I wanted to share because I thought it was pretty cool. 
Uh, the next thing is called Breakout Room. So uh, Breakout Room, basically, I, it's it allows you to have screen sharing, video streaming, and chat and Q&A. Okay, so not a new thing, but what I like about this is it's ex- extremely quick and easy, and it's very stable in my tests with it. So whether you want to do a webinar or you want to just show a friend or a client how to do something or you want to get a sort of a group huddle together. This is one click live broadcasting. So you can share your screen, you can actually do video streaming of yourself, and you can even have a chat window there and it's all browser based. So uh, I I think this is really cool. Uh, And it's very, very useful depending on what you're doing. So the next thing is MIT claims they have found a language universal that ties all languages together. So you know, if anybody's familiar with like Esperanto or there, there have been attempts in the past to have a actual universal language. And, you know, there have been throughout the ages, like French was universal language at one point and English. And there's also, by the way, there's about 30 different versions of English, including your English. And your English is the English that is spoken at the EU, like the house of the EU, basically, which is kind of fascinating. But anyway, um, basically, they believe that there's this. They they found this language uh, that essentially ties together all languages, which is kind of amazing. So uh, you have to look at. There's a a really cool map that shows like the different traces and origins, and this is just worth checking out. But the the point, the reason that I'm sharing this is that. Obviously, if you have an, and I'm not saying everyone has to go out and learn this language, but just like people who are very well versed in Latin have a better understanding of many, many languages. And like my uncle, who is a lawyer, uh, he, you can basically give him any word, whether he knows it or not. And using his knowledge of Latin, he's able to sort of figure out a derivative of it and guess what it means. Right. So if you can learn a universal language or learn some of it, then you probably can have a better understanding of all the other languages out there. That was my thought anyway. Okay, so now this one I am really excited about. So uh, this is called the June Oven, and this is the the June Intelligent Oven. Okay, so it looks like a toaster oven. <laughs> I mean, this, this is almost like, this is just too cool. So it has an app, of course, it has an app. And you can basically cook anything in it, you know, from toast to a, uh, a fine roast. I did not mean that to rhyme. It's got a touchscreen on it. So it has a camera. So when you put in the food, it actually identifies what the food is. Okay. So that's first of all, which is really amazing. And it also has a probe. So you can stick a probe in to get the, the temperature of the core of it. So you could stick a steak in and it not only will it automatically recognize the steak, but the touch screen on the front will change to show your different cooking options. So it's going to say like, oh, steak medium rare, for example, or steak uh, well done, whatever you want. And then you have the probe in it. So you choose what you want and it will know exactly when your food is cooked perfectly the way you want it. It can You can be controlled from your iPhone. You can have recipes on there. It's, I mean, it basically, it will, it it can set the temperature. It can set the top power, the bottom power. So it can cook differently above and below. I I mean, this is really, really cool. And I think that this has the, the potential to make it a lot easier for people to cook 
I did a uh, what's it a, a Periscope last week that was live, and I was basically going on a rant about Seamless Web. And Seamless has a new ad campaign that I think is just despicable, and people should boycott them. Uh, basically, I was standing in the street and I saw a bus go by, and there was an ad that said, "You don't drive anymore, so why would you cook anymore?" Uh, and then I saw a bus stop, and the ad was for Seamless, and it said, "Cooking is so Jersey." And I really hated this. I hate that it's like they're, they're trying to like demonize cooking. It's one thing if you're stressed and you don't have enough time and you want to order in that's fine but don't put down cooking so i've recommended seamless before but i will never recommend them again because i think that that's just horrible so uh you can reserve the june oven it's uh, for 95 dollars. The, the eventual eventual cost is going to be 1500 dollars, and uh, I, I think that i mean this thing is amazing it's supposed to come out in the spring so check out the june oven uh, okay, now the last thing I want to I want to uh, to share with you an article from Brain Pickings, and Maria Popova is just an incredible researcher and curator of information. And this is how to begin each day: a recipe for unshakable sanity and inner peace from Marcus Aurelius. And Marcus Aurelius, as you may be familiar with, is the the sort of the the founding father of the Stoicism movement that was definitely made popular recently by Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle Is the Way. And I, I, I just want to read you this one passage that she took out, which is, when you wake up in the morning, tell yourself, the people I deal with today will be meddling, ungrateful, arrogant, dishonest, jealous, and surly. They are like this because they can't tell good from evil. But I have seen the beauty of good and the ugliness of evil and have recognized that the wrongdoer has a nature related to my own. Not of the same blood or birth, but of the same mind and possessing a share of the divine. And so none of them can hurt me. No one can implicate me in ugliness, nor can I feel angry at my relative or hate him. We were born to work together like feet, hands, and eyes, like the two rows of teeth, upper and lower. To obstruct each other is unnatural. To feel anger at someone, to turn your back on him. These are obstructions. And, you know, you might wonder what this has to do with productivity, but the truth is there's so many emotional aspects that go into into what makes us productive on a given day or distracts us or motivates us. And I just think that this is something that's worthwhile remembering. So thanks everybody for listening in and I will be back next week. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. 
Thanks for listening. And now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Shivani Nazareth, who is the Director of Women's Health at Council. So uh, Shivani, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for having me. So, uh, you know, very quickly, I wanted to tell people what Council is, first of all. Sure. So Council is a health technology company and we're based in South San Francisco. And we offer DNA screening for genetic diseases that can impact men, women, and their children. So, okay, so that's very cool, obviously. Um, and so is the primary method of collection saliva? Saliva or blood. Um, and, you know, saliva, obviously, a lot of people prefer. One of the uh, tests that we run on saliva is called the family prep screen, which I know you've talked about in the past. And that test looks for over 100 inherited diseases that parents can unknowingly pass on to their children. So and in your service, you know, as opposed to like a 23andMe, you're much more focused on, the, on, on pregnancy and, and fertility. I mean, well, I mean, on pregnancy mostly. Sure, yeah. We're focused on, you know, preconception. Uh, we also have a test that's done during pregnancy called the informed pregnancy screen. And we also offer the inherited cancer screen, which looks at over 20 genes that can predispose to certain cancers. So I, I would say our focus is on diseases where knowing the information ahead of time can make a difference in the health outcome, either the person being tested or their children. Yeah. So that, I think that's a, a very excellent point to make. Uh, and you know, some people say that, you know, why, why do genetic testing if you're just going to find out that, you know, it, something that you can't necessarily do something about, right? Um, and this is, this is probably not a good example, but it'll illustrate at least is that, you know, if you find out that you have a, uh, a higher risk for Alzheimer's, for instance, like, yes, maybe there's, you know, things that you can do, like more fish oil or things like that, but there's not really a concrete way that you can actually do things. And a lot of times it ends up just creating anxiety. But what you're talking about is actually something you can do something about. Absolutely. We're talking about actionable diseases. So not diseases where you may or may not develop this condition in the future, but diseases where, you know, as an example, spinal muscular atrophy, one in 40 people are carriers. If you and your partner are carriers of SMA, you face a 25% chance of having a child with that disorder. That's an absolute risk. Um, and it's not something that, uh, you know, taking a supplement will help, for instance. Right, right. No, that, that, that's, all, again, a good point. Now, so here's something, you know, maybe you might not be able to answer this, but uh, so when I did, and, and I haven't had anybody from 23andMe on the podcast, so I don't have a problem talking about this, but my wife and I did 23andMe before she got pregnant, and we found out that she was a carrier for cystic fibrosis, and I was not. Uh, and then while, when she was pregnant, her doctor wanted to do a panel again, and it found out that I actually was a carrier for cystic fibrosis. So we found this out while she was pregnant with our first child, which was just terrifying. And we ended up getting very lucky, and our, our first son, Ben, was born uh, not a carrier at all. So we got the one in four chance there. But still, um, it turned out that I had um, a less common mutation of cystic fibrosis, and 23andMe was only testing for like the 14 most common, which honestly I felt was irresponsible to, to not point that out. So how does that, like, I'm assuming cystic fibrosis is one of the things that you test for. Yeah, so you're bringing up a lot of points that speak to why I joined council. I mean, I think, for one, having the information before pregnancy is so important. And um, right now, a lot of people are finding out during pregnancy and 
when you have that stress of an ongoing pregnancy, you have a lot fewer options. So ideally you wanna do carrier screening before pregnancy. Um, the other thing is that, you know, it, it puts the onus on the patient to know how much to be screened for and what mutations to look for. And frankly, unless you work in genetics, you really wouldn't, you shouldn't be expected to know that. So, you know, council uses next generation sequencing technology where we would pick up all potential mutations within a targeted gene. So unlike other tests that may only be looking at more common genetic mutations. So, so can you, you know, without getting, I mean, you're not gonna be able to get too sciencey for me, but I just, I don't want to like lose people. Can you sort of describe what that means? Like, so how are you able to do that and test for all mutations? We're looking, basically, it's like we're scanning the gene for any possible mutation that could result in disease. There are some other tests that only look at sort of the more common changes in DNA that would result in disease. So how is that different than the current form of test, or the more, I guess, the kind that 23andMe might use? You know, I'm not entirely sure what they're using. They're you know, without, again, without getting too scientific, they're probably focusing on um, targeted mutations. So for example, a mutation that we know is more common in the Jewish population or a mutation that we know is more common in the African-American population. And then saying, well, the vast majority of people, if they're going to test positive, will carry this mutation. You mentioned that you carry a, a, a kind of a less common mutation. That's something that if you're not falling into those neat ethnic categories, it wouldn't be picked up. So uh, another thing that I like to advocate for is everyone should be screened for the same uh, disorders regardless of ethnic background because the fact of the matter is most of us don't know our ethnicities going back one or two generations. And there's studies showing that 40% of people don't even know the true ethnic background of all four grandparents. So better to just have a list of conditions, kind of a universal panel that all people are screened for before pregnancy. When people do find mutations, what is the sort of, and also just to be clear on this, like with, with that information, what we did was that for our, our following, our subsequent children, uh, we did uh, actually uh, pre-genetic screening uh, and in vitro fertilization. So we were able to screen out those issues for the future. So, I mean, what are your typical, like what is the recommendation, if any, when people do find that they have some of these these their carriers of these things. Yeah, so um, it's different for everyone because it really comes down to what a couple feels that they can handle. Um, but IVF with pre-implantation genetic di diagnosis is one option that a lot of couples will um, pursue. And that is a process whereby you go through fertility treatments, as you know, and then the embryos are screened for the mutations and only healthy embryos are implanted. There are some couples that will opt to use a sperm donor or an egg donor. And uh, there are other couples who will simply use the information to be better prepared. So lining up the right specialists and making sure they have all the right doctors in the room and they give birth to the, birth to the child so that they're prepared from day one. And you know that really just comes down to what disease parents are carriers for and how much as a couple they think they can handle and of course people's personal uh, and religious beliefs. Well, but and regardless of what they end up doing, I'm, I'm glad that you you listed those different things because it is important for people to realize that this is not like you you know this this is not 
saying that you can't have children if you end up being a, you know, positive for any of these things. No, on the contrary, it's just giving people more options about, you know, how, how to start a family and doing what feels right for them. Now, are you, are you, you know, obviously there's, there's privacy things that go into this, but are you doing any sort of like big data stuff where you are, you know, identifying certain population? I mean, well, we already know that there's certain populations that have higher propensity to certain illnesses, but maybe certain age groups or other things that might have a correlation to certain, you know, genetic mutations. You know, we have screened nearly half a million people to date. So we have a wow. lot of data. Yeah, we have a a lot of data, but um, we don't sell that data for any purpose. And if we do any research, it's anonymized and aggregated and we publish our findings. So for example, we published a study in genetics and medicine looking at the carrier frequencies of rare diseases in over 23,000 people. And um, what we find as we continue to look at that data is that rare is actually pretty common. Um, individually, the diseases are rare, but collectively, if you look at that panel of diseases we look for, the frequency exceeds that of Down syndrome, which is something that almost all women get screened for during pregnancy. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, right. No, of course I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't suggesting that you'd be selling it either. I just was curious, you know, maybe that there were patterns or things that you might be seeing. Now, um, now, was there was there plans at some point to do the other kind of illnesses or you know diseases or, or disorders or things or was this always meant to just be focused on you know the kinds that could be transmitted to children? Um, well, we we do now focus on adult onset cancers. So we do a panel that looks at the hereditary predisposition for things like breast and ovarian cancer. And um, those are conditions where, you know, obviously you wouldn't be at risk until your 20s or 30s, but it's the same mindset that having that information ahead of time gives you the option of lining up the right specialists, doing more screening. So for example, if you're at risk for breast cancer, and when I say at risk, I mean like your risk is seven times higher than the general population, then you qualify for mammograms 10 years earlier in life. Um, you can, if you choose to pursue preventative mastectomy, and there are medications that you can take to reduce your risk of getting cancer. So again, the idea is like, if we're gonna develop any kind of tests looking at DNA, we really are only going to focus on actionable disorders where if you have that information, there's something you can do about it. Right. Of course, which is, which again, is, is a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, and then this may seem like a, a naive question, but it, this is the kind of thing where you would screen or test for it once, right? You don't need to do it again because it shouldn't change or is epigenetics enough of a factor that it could change? No, your DNA doesn't change when it comes to these types of mutations. It's not a naive question. In fact, we get that question a lot because I think um, the idea of genetics is kind of, um, it's, it's very interesting and fascinating, but it, it can get complicated. So uh, for example, preconception screening, uh, you could be screened for a hundred diseases and your carrier status for those diseases will not change over time. But what can change over time is the number of 
diseases that's added to the panel. So if you're having children five years later, we may have added 50 predictions to the panel. You might want to test for those. But when it comes to the hereditary cancer genes, you typically just test once, you know your risk, and then you, you get the right doctor and you do what you need to do to keep yourself healthy. Um, and, you know, we also have genetic counseling. So every time a person gets a result, they have a consultation with one of our board-certified genetic counselors to talk about what does this actually mean. I think that's a huge differentiator for us is that we're not just dumping data back in people's laps. We're actually talking them through the results, working with their doctors, making sure that they understand what they can actually do with the information. Yeah, which is also really good. Uh, and then, I mean, obviously, if you're going to be having kids, you want to get both parties tested. But I mean, is there like a good amount of actual information you can get from just testing one? You know, often women are end up being the first people to get tested just by nature of, you know, planning a pregnancy. So information that that they get is whether or not they're a carrier for a recessive disorder, in which case you really do partner in order to see if if you're at risk of transmitting that disease. The exception to that would be something like fragile X syndrome, which is a common inherited cause of mental retardation, and only uh, the mother needs to be a carrier of that condition in order to pass gotcha. it on. Um, and, and then, you know, you said that in five years there might be other conditions. Is there, like, a, a rate at which you've noticed that there are more, uh, gen, you know, genetically associated ailments that you're finding? Like, is there, you know, one or two new ones a year or less or more? That's about the rate. You know, the technology is moving fast, but um, understanding which which conditions to test for and, you know, which conditions it makes sense to offer screening for, that takes a little more thought. Sure. Uh, and then actually, I should have asked you this before when, when you first brought it up, but is there a significant difference between giving a sample via saliva or versus blood in terms of the accuracy or, or range of the test? No. So, you know, we need DNA and we can get DNA from various types of tissue, blood and saliva being the easiest. So, so why would people choose to do blood then if they had... <laughs> <laughs> That you know, the only people that ask that question are men. <laughs> that's funny. That's that's very funny. You know, women are already getting their blood drawn in the office for other things, so adding another tube to that is no big deal. Sure, right, of course. <laughs> um, oh, and and so and also, you know, you're as you as we said in the beginning, you're the director of women's health. There, what what was your background that brought you to this? So I'm a genetic counselor by training, and I worked in New York City um, at various hospitals, including Mount Sinai and Cornell, for over 10 years before I joined council. And I was really drawn to a number of things. One, the cost. So um, typically screening for one or two genes, even five years ago, was a little over $1,000, and council tests for over 100 genes for a few hundred dollars. So that alone um, was huge because when I first, I actually first read about counsel in the New York Times, I thought, you know, if this is true, because it seemed too good to be true, but if it is true, it's going to change the way we practice genetics. Um, and the other is that, you know, after years of talking to couples about their potential risk of having a child with a pretty serious disease when they're already 17 or 18 weeks pregnant, 
um, you start to kind of think, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I think that pushing carrier screening to the preconception stage is the answer. Cool. Well, that's that's all the questions I have. So, you know, thank you very much for that was very, very informative for me and I'm sure for everyone listening. Can you, you know, tell we'll have all this in the show notes of course, but please tell people where they can find out more and sign up to get screened. Thank you. www.council.com that's C O U N S Y L. Cool. All right, well Shivani, thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.